Hello, you're listening to Linguistically Aware. My name is Dusha Nikolic, and I'm the host of this wonderful podcast. Today, I sat down with Dr. Stephen Winters, and we talked about the ways human voices are produced and perceived, what the voice qualities there are, and why Adele should have a voice she had despite losing a lot of weight. We debunked some myths, and we chatted about our passion for phonetics, a branch of linguistics that studies the way speech is produced and perceived. Dr. Stephen Winters is an assistant professor of linguistics at the University of Calgary, where he teaches linguistic courses such as phonetics, quantitative methods in linguistics, varieties of English, and other. Steve is also my supervisor, a role model, and a person I learned a lot from over the past four years, and I hope that you will learn a tiny fraction of it as well in the next two episodes. Yes, that's right, you heard it well. In the next two episodes, you will listen to my conversation with Dr. Stephen Winters about the topic extremely dear to us, and that is phonetics. Before you tune in to our conversation, and before you listen to some awesome music that I'm going to play today for you, it is essential to acknowledge that this is CGSW 90.9 FM radio station, broadcasting on the traditional territories of all the people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 of Southern Alberta. First of all, thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Sure, I'm happy to be here. I'm very glad that we are in studio. Uh, finally, after so many years, uh, it, it feels like it's been years, and uh, I'm glad that we are uh, we are able to record properly uh, this time. Um, so I I want to ask you first of all about your research. Um, that's I think um, the most important part. Uh, so uh, yeah, thank you for coming, and let's start with that. What is your research about? <laughs> Yeah. So, well, my research is, uh, I'm a, I've, I think of myself as a phonetician, but my research is mostly focused on speech perception. Um, and, uh, so there's kind of multiple threads I could tell you about, but a lot of my research has focused on a theory of speech perception known as exemplar theory of um, the exemplar theory of speech perception, um, which in, yeah, the most general sense, it says that you store in memory every experience you have of speech and you link up those memories with specific speech categories and you use those memories to interpret new experiences um, by basically categorizing new experiences you have um, on the basis of their similarity to your stored memories. Um, yeah, so the kind of different lines I've taken with that, uh, one interesting path of research was about talker identification. So one of the predictions that is made by the exemplar theory of speech perception is that you don't toss aside any information, especially if it's useful to interpreting speech. And it turns out that if you know, if you're familiar with a speaker's voice, if you know what they sound like, it's a lot easier for you to understand what they're saying than if you're listening to somebody who's unfamiliar. Um, so there's a lot of sort of work on intera- the interaction between uh, talker identification and speech recognition. And so one of the first, uh, you know, <laughs> works, uh, research studies that I did post getting my PhD where I did something else uh, was to look at whether people can identify the same speaker across languages. 
Uh, and at that particular time, we looked at uh, people speaking German and English, which were relatively similar languages, but uh, people can't always make the transfer across the two languages. In terms, So what you do is you train listeners to identify a speaker, uh, and there's different training paradigms. We were using a training paradigm where they listen to people saying one word at a time, which makes it harder to train them up. So they would do multiple training sessions over a period of, uh, I think the start we were doing five days, which is quite a lot of training. And at the end, you, you switch the language on them. So you hear somebody speaking German, 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 and then the last day they speak English. And you're like, can you still identify the same, the same speaker? Um, and there's, it turns out there's... Um, and it's the same voice, right? Yeah, yeah. So the same set of voices, basically, because okay. you have to, you know, you train them on multiple voices at the start, and then you, you learn them by name, and then you find out the, what they sound like in a different language, mm -hmm. right? So they so, associate the voice with the name, right? Yeah, okay. right. Um, yeah, and there's different ways to do that, too. We just had, like, a name in a specific okay. color. Like, you could have had, like, an avatar or something like that. But yeah. uh, it winds up being um, easier to transfer to your native language like if you're an english speaker and you hear somebody speaking german 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 then you go to english as well easier than going from english english all of a sudden german where like you don't have the additional linguistic cues so uh there's kind of an interaction between language and talker voice identity there i guess mm -hmm. you could say and uh there's also um sort of a, what they call a familiar talker advantage to well there's a familiar talker advantage like in your own native language but also Just listening to different voices in your native language, you can distinguish them more clearly than if you're listening to speakers in a language that you don't know. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've had that sort of experience. You're a Serbian speaker in an English-speaking environment. And, you, and as an L2, you're a very proficient English speaker. But uh, I don't know if you've had any difficulties either understanding people that you don't know or identifying voices if you're like talking on the phone or something like that. Uh, yeah, that, that's a that's an interesting question. I don't recall having those kinds of difficulties. Maybe just just a language barrier sometimes. Even though I'm proficient, sometimes uh, some people would, for example, let's say mumble the words, or at least it seemed to be that they would do that. Uh, but I do not have problems with voices uh, mm -hmm. or with any kind of that uh, talker. Um, uh, identification. Yeah. Um, even though, even though I am not a native speaker. Yeah. Well, it probably doesn't come up as much as it, I guess it used to. Like, if you yeah. get a phone call, you normally get identified, like the in, information about who's calling you with, with a cell phone nowadays. So you can, don't just pick up the phone and have no clue. But um, my wife has mentioned on a personal level that uh, she, like the way I talk, she thinks I mumble all the time, um, which is, <laughs> I think, my Midwestern accent. But yeah. yeah the, there is one of our, of our colleagues, uh, and, uh, your your student as well. I won't mention his name. That <laughs> we think, uh, that I think uh, sometimes he's uh, not really uh, understandable, you know, uh, intelligible. Okay. So to say. Well, but, yeah. But that happens, right? Certain speakers are more intelligible than others. And yeah. it, that's part of why it helps to learn what their voice sounds like in order to understand what they're saying, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, with respect to the research, what uh, what was the finding in the end? Uh, I'm curious to know. Well, I mean, it's kind of a question of whether you are... Uh, so, I mean, the basic finding is that you can transfer some information across languages mm -hmm. but uh, some gets lost so like from the exemplar point of view the idea is that you store everything in memory 
right? Mm-hmm. But if there's something that gets lost in that sort of translation, like it seems like you're not making either you're not storing that information in memory or you're like not making the match when you're trying to like uh, interpret new experiences with yeah. your old memories, right? Um, so like in another, this is work that I never wound up publishing, but I'm hoping to get to now that I'm going on sabbatical next semester. But uh, another study I did um, didn't look across languages, but looked across voice qualities. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was kind of a fun little uh, experiment to set up, but I had people speaking in different voice qualities and I would have listeners trained up on identifying their voices when they're using different specific voice qualities. And then I could see if they would transfer that to a new voice quality. So, mm-hmm. uh, not if people out there are listening, don't know what a voice quality is. Uh, yeah, that... there's kind of three main voice qualities right now. I'm speaking in what's called modal voice, which is kind of the, the moderate in the middle, like consistent voicing. Um, and then, uh, so these describe, when I say voice quality, it describes what's happening with your vocal folds when you speak. Mm-hmm. And there's another voice quality, which has become, uh, somewhat mm-hmm. famous, I guess, or modish in the, uh, modern world of phonetics, but it's called creaky voice and creaky voice sounds more like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that case, your vocal folds are opening up sporadically and not consistently like they do when you're speaking modal voice. A third one is breathy voice, which sounds like this, a little breathy where you have more kind of turbulence coming up through your vocal folds and not closing completely um yeah so i'm that's three versions of me right like breathy modal and creaky right so it's the same me like but do you identify that as the same voice right um and that was uh you know so exemplar theory says you should store that information right um and then that would actually, if you if your memories are kind of like overly specific, you're, if you're overly attuned to like a certain um, voice quality, like if you just hear me speaking creaky voice all the time, yeah. it might be harder to identify me speaking modal voice like that. Uh, and that's generally what you find out to be true when you make that switch, that people don't make that sort of transfer. But the other question is whether uh, it helps them with uh, understanding what that person is saying. Uh, so yeah. if you... If you learn to listen to what a person is saying in modal voice all the time, then all of a sudden they start speaking creaky voice. Uh, You don't get that sort of familiar talker benefit to understanding the words that they're saying, if that makes any sense. No, it does. There's something I've been meaning to ask you later, but we can answer it right now. What are the attitudes towards different voice qualities? In terms of listener attitudes towards creaky voice, that's kind of been the interesting question a lot of people have addressed and why it's been in a hot topic of study over the past decade or so. But creaky voice, um, uh, that voice quality has uh, been adopted more like there's some sketchy data on this, but they think it's being used more by young women than it used to be. Uh, and or at least it's been noticed as being a prominent part of young women's speech nowadays. In the old days, like a generation or two ago, people thought a creaky voice is more of a masculine voice quality, um, or at least the phoneticians thought that men used it more often. So, uh, like, why are young women speaking with that voice quality more often? So, it turns out when people, when you play samples of people using creaky voice to listeners, Mm -hmm. they generally find it an unattractive voice quality. Uh, And uh, normally, if people are making judgments about whether it sounds feminine or masculine, they judge it to be more masculine sounding voice quality. So when it's paired with female speech, they find it kind of doubly unattractive for that reason, which is a bit funny because um, young women are using it more often, but we know 
When language changes, often young women are on the forefront of that change. So possibly Mm -hmm. the world will look different in a generation. People will find it less attractive. Who knows? But for right now, that's what the data show us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, that's called vocal fry, right? Right. Yeah, you know, that's a funny story (laughs) too. and that's actually, I can link that up with a personal story as well. So it's, mm-hmm. it's sometimes called glottal fry or vocal fry, yeah. which are um, terms used more often in the speech language pathology literature. Mm-hmm. So uh, for many years, for decades, really, speech pathologists uh, who make a living trying to solve speech problems thought that uh, creaky voice was a problem and that if you use too much creaky voice, it would damage your vocal folds. So they, I mean, a term like vocal fry or glottal fry makes it sound like sound like you're frying your vocal folds and, you know, uh, you're making just like a piece of steak down there or something, right? But uh, the um, there's no evidence that that's the case, that if you use creaky voice, it causes any damage to your vocal folds. It's just a natural sort of voice quality variation you can use with well within the parameters of like healthy speaking. Um, so, but people in the old days used to be actively discouraged from using this uh, voice quality. So it's funny, there's a study... Uh, from about 2005, where they, when people were starting to pick up on the fact that young women were using this voice quality more often, they uh, some speech pathologists were they just like recorded their incoming class. Uh, so this is a program like an MA program or something somewhere in the states that had mm-hmm. I don't know about 20 new students coming into their MA speech pathology program, and they recorded their students speaking, and they found that like 19 out of 20 were using like more creaky voice than would be mm-hmm. recommended by the speech pathologist. Uh, and so it's like, okay, <laughs> something's going on. It's like a, a trend, obviously. And at that time, uh, in that article, they were still like, well, this is bad. So somehow we got to stop this. And in fact, my sister um, studied to become an elementary education teacher and she graduated from college in 1994. Uh, and then she, there's a lot of sort of... Um, steps you have to go through to become a teacher uh to be you know qualified as a teacher in the u.s and certified, one of the, right? certified that's the, the word i was looking for <laughs> yeah. the certification process yeah. but um one of those was uh they listened to her speak and they said you're using too much creaky voice or they call it glottal fry and so you have to go mm-hmm. see a speech pathologist to correct that and so for and what they recommended was basically speaking with a higher fundamental frequency f0 so speaking with a higher voice like this mm-hmm. uh and uh that might you know, induce less creaky voice perhaps yeah. uh but she didn't like that um and she just kind of wound up going a different direction altogether yeah. but it was a shame because she was an excellent student a very motivated teacher but kind of got denied the opportunity to do what she wanted to do with life because uh of some misconceptions about how the human voice works right yeah and uh, has this changed I mean, the attitude towards of people who speak with uh, creaky voice? That I don't know. I don't know if the authorities have changed their attitudes. They don't tend to do that too often. I guess that's one place where we could go out and do some linguistics activism, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, the, like I said, when you just ask people how they feel about this voice quality, they you generally don't get positive responses. Mm-hmm. In addition to people thinking it's a unattractive voice quality they also think it's somebody who's not super serious uh and not uh yeah well it's that's funny um when we do our own stuff the data i've collected in my own lab suggests that some people interpret it as an authoritative voice quality perhaps because it's less Mm -hmm. low f0 right so if you speak with a low voice 
you might sound like a more powerful, more serious yeah. person. Um, but in combination with young female voice, that's often mm-hmm. it's kind of counterindicated, basically. Yeah, I guess it's only for males, or at least predominantly for males. Yeah, so gender does definitely factor into this. Yeah. You get different results. So with I mentioned the other voice quality uh, option being breathy voice. Yeah. So breathy voice like this uh, is considered, uh, when you ask people, they say, that sounds unattractive for a male, but it will sound attractive for a female. Mm-hmm. So you get that counterbalancing of breathy and creaky voice that way. Yeah, I guess we're uh, we're touching upon linguistics there, but we are entering some other realms, <laughs> such as uh, prejudice and uh, uh, social roles that gender spl- genders play, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, language is everywhere, Dushan. It's yeah. part of every sort of human that, endeavor. So that's why that's why we're recording this. Right. <laughs> yeah. mentioned speech pathologists uh, speech pathologists take your class most of the students at least who want to go further into speech pathology they take your linguistics 341 which is phonetics introduction to phonetics at least and maybe some take uh, your advanced phonetics uh, phonetics course 
why is that so? Why why are why are they interesting interested in in the course itself? Uh, I think besides being a requirement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you kind of have to ask them why they'd be interested in the course aside from the requirement. It's kind of uh, just the way the academic culture is set up in Canada. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I come from the U.S. originally, and there there's a clear split between speech science, speech and hearing sciences programs and linguistics programs. Uh, so if somebody in the U.S. wants to become a speech language pathologist, they'd go through speech and hearing sciences and they probably wouldn't take many linguistics classes at all, maybe phonetics. Um, I, I mean, I'd recommend that they do take phonetics, actually, but uh, I'm in Canada. And there's At the undergrad level here, we don't have a speech and hearing sciences program. Um, so those students want to generally go through linguistics or maybe psychology, something like that. Um, so yeah, the speech and hearing sciences, the dedicated programs emerge at the graduate level and they're, they're limited in number. So it's a very competitive field. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, well, I mean, I guess I would say in the U S you get more of a clear split between the, the language nerds who are just mm -hmm. the linguistics majors and mm -hmm. you know, yeah. those people well, right. Uh, and then the, the people who want to be like speech pathologists who are sort of more organized and perhaps a little more conventional, I would say. Yeah. Uh, in the other programs, but in, in our programs here in Canada, there's, there's a mix, right? So, uh, right. And, you know, you have to sort of attune a course like phonetics to balance out both people's interests basically. Right. Yeah. So I do a little more, um, I guess, physiological specifics, um, for the classes up here than I did back in the U S but there's also maybe more look at these phonological patterns in sound that, um, like a speech and hearing science major would be less interested in perhaps uh than a linguistics major um yeah. up here but you know they're all together and i think that's good for us it kind of gives it well i mean yeah. it gives us a bigger it does. pool of students to work from and then also like diverse interests that we can all kind of learn mm -hmm. from from yeah. each other sure sure and uh well, i think i think that's great that they are taking this course at uh, seeing the course is, is great for sure and uh there is an audiology i think uh, or at least some kind some programs in audiology here in at uh, University of Calgary. I don't know um, that for sure. I just know a couple of my students have gone on to be audiologists, and yeah. they 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 have reported that they enjoy that career path at, at the end of the day. Oh. That, that's all I can say about that. So oh, nice, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I was wondering whether they do, but uh, <laughs> but it's good. Uh, okay, uh, yeah. So why do we all have? And I think the public or general public who maybe listening to this, uh, does not know that uh, we all have specific types of voice, right? Or quality of voice. Yeah. Why is that so? You know, uh, another thing when I was a kid is they used to talk about voice prints or like voice print technology uh, that, you know, if the FBI recorded your voice over a phone call or something, they could match it up and figure out who you were. Um, you know, and like, uh, yeah, so... Number one, I know what they were referring to when they were talking about voice prints. We call them spectrograms now. Um, yep. And I think with 1980s technology, it would have been very difficult to do any of that sort of matching that they're talking about. Uh, in the modern day, like technology has improved quite a bit. Uh, and if they have a pre-existing sample, like an exemplar of your voice, it would become a lot easier to sort of make that match. Um, but the like you've seen a lot of spectrograms in my classes and, hmm. you know, there's a lot of structure in there and they're not easy to interpret. So basically a spectrogram is a uh, representation of how the um, different energies of different frequencies change over time when you're speaking. 
and there's a lot of complex information in there. And we take a couple of semesters really in phonetics to learn the basics of how to interpret that. But one of the big sort of structures that's there or pairing of structures, I guess you could say, is that there are source features in your voice, which is what your vocal folds are doing. Uh, and then there are also filter features, which is what you're doing with everything above your vocal folds from your throat on up. Um, and so just like in terms of biological parameters, some people have longer or thicker vocal folds than others. And then some people have longer vocal tracks than others. And so if you have, uh, say, longer or thicker vocal folds, you'll tend to speak with a lower voice, like a lower fundamental frequency, a lower pitch of your voice. Um, and then that's separate, though, from what's going on with your vocal tract. If you have a longer vocal tract, you will have lower frequency resonances in your voice. And so when people say, oh, he's speaking with a low voice, it's like not clear. Normally, that means the pitch of his voice is going down and the pitch of her voice is going down. Um, but it could have something to do with like the vocal tract length and the formant frequencies of the resonant frequencies of your voice. So uh, that's the funny thing about Julia Child, who you mentioned twice, and yeah. hopefully your listeners know who Julia Child was. Um, yeah. If they never watched the show, there's a movie about her life they could always check out. But uh, she she was uh, a woman with a distinctive voice because she had a high of zero. She spoke with a high-pitched voice, but she had a long vocal tract because uh, she was um, six foot two, I believe, which is fairly tall for a woman. Mm -hmm. And um, it's almost as tall as me. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's... And that's tall. <laughs> I, I can't really I can't really imitate it, right, because it's a distinctive voice. Yeah. Um, not everybody has a voice that distinctive. But, no, it's a bit like talking if I speak with a high F zero, but I don't sound like Julia Child at all. She was also, I think, um, from the Massachusetts area. So, you know, there's a, that's another way you could possibly identify her voice is just by sort of dialectal features in her phonology, right? A certain pattern in her sound. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways people can dis can sound distinct, you know, or have distinctive sounding voices. Um, and talking about the phonetic side or just like what are the results of the sort of biological infrastructure you're given uh, is just one part of the equation. Mm -hmm. Like another example is... Um, that I'm just thinking about was Tom Waits, if you know what he sounds um, like. People often sound, describe oh, him. Oh, yes. Yeah, that he, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, at this point, you can maybe splice in a Tom Waits song or something yeah. at the end. Yeah, but, <laughs> if we have a copyright. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, well, that's the funny thing, right, is yeah. that he tried to copyright his voice. So uh -huh. he, he has what's what most people describe as a very gravelly sounding voice. Mm -hmm. uh, and somebody somewhere was trying to, like, kind of imitate Tom Waits' sound. And he's like, you can't do that. That's my that's my whole bag. So if you're going to do that, you have to like respect yeah. the copyright of my distinctive voice. Mm -hmm. So so he had the voice print basically, which is sort of a uh, you know a copyright document. Yeah. Well, that yeah. kind of goes back to the you know the exemplar theory again as well. Like another part of the theory is that there's nothing. There's no one thing which makes a distinctive thing distinctive. Right. It's mm -hmm. like a you look at all the examples of that in the world and sort of over the general pattern, you can get a sense of like this group of things is separate from something else. So it's not, yeah. it's not necessarily your vocal fold length. It's not your vocal track length. It's not, you know, are you dropping your R's or whatever like that? It's the whole thing wrapped up as one kind of makes your voice your voice. Right. That was a phenomenal Dr. Stephen Winters. If you want to listen to the upcoming episodes of Linguistically Aware, Make sure to stay tuned to CJSW 
9.9 FM radio station. If you want to find out more about Calgary Linguistics, visit calgarylinguistics.ca. If you want to find out more about myself, visit my homepage, D-U-S-A-N-N-I-K-O-L-I-C. If you want to find out more about Dr. Winters, you can check out uflinguistics.org. Thank you for listening, and please don't change the station. You know you're in the right place.